Hello, sir. My name is Anshul Gupta. Uh, thanks a lot for writing the book. Uh, so there's a small observation from which the question will come. Mr. Sanjeev Sanyal in his book, uh, The Land of Seven Rivers, mentions that the uh, word Hindu is a phonetical error which was done by the Persians from Sindhu, which he says, Sapt Sindhu, and it was done Hapt Hindu. So before this, uh, before this word, there is also uh, what is called Sanatan Dharam, which means the Dharam for everybody at all times. And perhaps that's why uh, Hindus now or before have always tried to find the truth in all re world regions always. So my question is that you have mentioned that there was never a revolt from Hindus ever. So when did we start recognizing ourselves or uh, accepting ourselves that we are Hindus? If it is a phonetical error or if it is something that has been imposed from outside, because I know I've been to Arab countries and there they call everybody from India as Hindustani. So it is in their vocabulary. So when did we start recognizing and grouping ourselves or accepting this word uh, Hindu? Now, whether outsiders <coughs> called us Hindus first or we called ourselves Hindus first and whether Hindu is the right word or not, these are matter of semantics. The fundamentally uh, the identification of our civilization, which unlike the Abrahamic world, that is Judaism, Christianity and Islam, and I would even add uh, Marxism to that, where the, they are based on what can be called deductive logic. In other words, the premise is given that mine is the only God, Yehovah is the only God, or uh, Christ is the son of God, or uh, Allah is the only God that there is or what Karl Marx said, that there is no God, as if he had conducted a survey all over the universe and found that there is no God. Now, what I'm trying to say is that they, they, this is given and then you become a Christian or a Muslim or Jew or, uh, well, let's not include Marx all the time. Whereas Hinduism is based on inductive logic. Inductive logic meaning things that arise from the ground I, except for karma and bhagya, which we have faith in, and which makes a lot of logic because it's as near physics as any religion can be, cause and effect. There is a distinct difference between us and the Abrahamics. Now, whether you call me Hindu or a Sanatani or a non-Sanatani is your choice. But to answer your question, you are looking for a certain time frame. When we, when we began really differentiating ourselves as people different from, although it would be difficult to lay down a date in black and white, but certainly between two to three thousand years ago, yes, this consciousness of who are foreigners and who we are and why we are different. This again began, certainly was this consciousness and thinking became solidified during the time of Krishna where foreign invaders or unwelcome visitors were described as Mlecha, Asura, Rakshasas, various terms, but differing terms, although these are not incidentally the same terms. Here today, thanks to the tele-soap serials, the terms Asur, Danav, Daite, Rakshas are used intermingly. They are different communities, but we shall leave that aside. But certainly between two to three thousand years ago, this consciousness says, yes, we, we are dharmic, we are inheritors or we are adherents of a dharmic civilization, therefore dharmic or sanatanis. Others who do not 
believe in this or seek to harm us are therefore militias that roughly around that period in 19 it was sorry, oh, sorry it was mm-hmm. certainly very much present by the time the mauryans came on the scene yes In they my, huh, sorry, sorry go, go ahead go ahead no you finish please i'm sorry right, for example the greeks greeks are were called the yavanas from a different place and belonging to a, the yavana but yavanas can also yavanas in our history puranic history means well just about any villainous community come visiting out from outside but for a particular geopolitical region yavanas also meant greeks but yes people of a different place of a different ethos you were about to no i was only uh, making a small point what i learned from my father who was no scholar of uh, religion but when he went to boston to study for 3 years in 1929 the first thing he was asked is uh, what are you young man by an american white american so he said i am from india Oh, that makes no sense to me are you a hindu then he said yes he said are you a hindu hindu or are you a hindu muslim or a hindu christian you know that that was the i'm i'm sure he didn't ask this in one sentence but this is the the belief was are you a hindu parsi or are you a hindu christian or a hindu muslim which made my father at that age he told me he went there at the age of probably 19 or 20 that obviously this subcontinent belongs to us and the others are the secondary citizens which is not exactly written in our constitution unfortunately <laughs> but then my father had nothing to do with the constitution uh so basically the book say that uh, the worship of krishna Uh, that came in the form of bhakti marg uh, it basically was like a precursor to uh, buddhism and jainism which were born out of frustration due to rituals of brahmanism so is that really true which part of the question are you referring to is true what is the truth you say uh, did the worship of krishna hmm. was was the worship of krishna born out of frustration from brahmanism the rituals of brahmanism to get to that answer krishna in his own life was no less a radical so any brahmanical frustration i don't think really applies okay. here a krishna in his own own lifetime at quite a young age even before he had reached mathura really exhorted his people to stop worship of indra and start worshiping govardhan i think you may be familiar with that is my voice carrying on yeah so personally speaking krishna himself was no less of a radical coming to brahmanical rituals and or or if you want a divergence between brahmanic brahmanical rituals and the non brahmanical way of the bhakti movement per se was included all elements including including what you term frustration i would slightly like to differ here it was an outcome of the pent up feelings and necessity of the indian populace when faced with a truly grave threat so we we did need a centralized kind of figure to look up to 
subconsciously this was also our way of matching the centralized one god one book ethos we were confronted with but the worship of krishna yes maybe in the form of the childhood krishna balagopal murli gopal laddu gopal the bhakti krishna preceded buddhism and jainism preceded buddhism and jainism but the 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 eulogy of krishna was certainly there even during his age it just took on a different form the excess of bhakti was because well an excess of peace and ahimsa had dulled our kshatriya spirit in such an eventuality naturally bhakti then remains the only thing to follow so krishna taking on overtones of bhakti at the beginning of the medieval period would have been a result of that of what you say but not entirely out of uh, any anti brahmanical revolt or when that was confined to very small pockets of india ram charit manas by tulsidas again made sri ram the central figure and uh, that was also during the medieval period when where we needed this. so now this this was our own psychological and civilizational response to the, to the very grave threat of one book one god and one prophet i hope that has somewhat answered your question have a comment first <coughs> uh praful sir and ayer sir um uh, you mentioned the first armed resistance was probably 1857 uh back to disagree over there we we've had lectures now and uh, also we have a small project in srijan foundation called the indian history academy mona is actually one of the writers in that so we are documenting um the hindu resistance across starting with 622 ad if i'm not wrong 32 36 when the first invasions happened there's always been a you know an idea of hindu confederations which actually even won back kabul as early as uh, i don't know 800 900 somewhere 800 ad um also smita mukherjee has recently talked about the uh, rise of indian national consciousness under the marathas so it was actually that perhaps a large scale more recent was perhaps the marathas would may you I, like to comment may and I then i have two more questions follow up up could i be permitted to answer yes, this please. this <laughs> all of this audience would be happy to know that it is sir himself who has written the saffron awakening the very first chapter discussing in great detail the continual and unceasing hindu resistance from 636 on so it is not that sir is not unaware now there is a particular reason he stresses on the 1857 events now this was after a long fairly long period in our history that two sets of two diverse and two very different communities came together for entirely different reasons on such a major scale and even that petered out so in the modern age possibly probably you could call it the first ever and that 1857 event led to a whole lot of cataclysmic changes within india so that is 
a central reason he keeps, in fact, even during uh, the course of our work, this 1857 thing keeps coming up. But I would like to heartily recommend the Saffron Awakening written by Sir himself. The very first chapter details, has all the details of Hindu resistance from 636 AD onwards and continuing. I hope we are agreed on that. So, uh, could you talk a little bit about, you talked about uh, uh, Krishna's idea of unification of India. Could you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, was he really unifying India or, I mean, the general perception is it was a Dharma Yuddha between Kaurav and Pandavas and that's all that he was doing. Yes, there was Rajasuya Yagya, which uh, Yudhishthir went on after that, but that's perhaps limited. No, Pandavas limited. and Kauravas, fine, but they were only a corollary of Krishna, at best. So that I don't think is important. That uh, The question is that you give me a corner of India where Krishna is not worshipped today. Manipur, yeah. Krishna. Kutch in the West, Krishna. Even Kashmiris, I have met several pundits uh, who will tell you about, uh, although they are technically Shaivites and so on and so forth, but they admire Krishna. Jammu mein to aur bhi zyada hai. And you go down to uh, Kanyakumari and you will find Vaishnavas there. Okay, so if a person who lived and died, let us say, or ascended to wherever, uh, if you can consider him a god, avatar, uh, say 2500 years ago that Mr. Ayer has been emphasizing or 3000 years ago, till this day, if that legend can be so widespread, what is the face of, I mean, what are you looking for in unification? And to, and to come to your speci the specifics of your question, was, was his intention really political unification? Well, we can say with confidence, not just with confidence, with complete justification, a big yes. But then your own question contained the answer. You asked a question about Rajasu Yagya. What is a Rajasu Yagya? Why did kings and emperors, small kings could not, why did emperors undertake the Ashwamedha and the Rajasuya? The Rajasuya and the Ashwamedha were entirely political programs. What does a king do? He dispatches a royal horse across kingdoms. Now either you let, uh, give the horse passage, which means you accept vassalhood. If you want to obstruct the horse, then you have to fight. Uh, what is that? That is a clear political statement. Either you submit, or you fight, or if you are stronger, then I have to submit to you. So the very fact that he made the Pandavas undertake first the Rajasuya, and then after the Kurukshetrabhar, the Ashwamedha, that itself was political. And that was not done for just cultural unity. Culturally, India was always one. I mean, even Duryodhan and his brothers used to do puja and havans and yagyas. So, culturally, there was no difference between us. But why Why this? And why the Kurukshetra war? So, I think your question contains the, <laughs> the clearest answer. Done in the time of Ramayana also. 
yes it was done it was done even much before the age of sri ram ah it was himself the four fathers and ancestors of dashrath okay. dashrath belong to that that lineage yeah i i just want to say yes. another thing uh is the perception that you know during the times of our rama krishna mahabharata and ramayana the all the uh, all the leaders they all, always had arms you know with them i think it, it was uh, it was with buddhism and jainism that ahimsa and all that came and it it made india so weak that you know the people from uh, the islam and other people came in and even greeks also before that well while not fundamentally disputing what you have said sir we are familiar with the saying ati sarvatra varjayet the excess of anything is bad now the achievements of our sanatan forefathers lent us a long period of peace and stability for these versions of our dharmic journey to flourish excess of rituals including pashubali and he would have turned people away from them which then led to an excess of ahimsa and the thought of ahimsa which opened the doors for well we know what so yes one of the fundamental reasons as we just pointed out all our celestials and deities have weapons in their hands is to continually remind us that life and freedom are never to be taken for granted that is one of the core messages of, of our civilization liberty and freedom themselves are not to be taken for granted and freedom itself is not free good evening sir my name is parth and uh, i'm a lawyer sir uh congratulations uh, to you for your well, work thank you uh my questions it's a threefold question it's addressed to uh, both of you and uh, you've been an mp and you uh, i believe you're an academician uh first question is uh, that we all know what happened uh, how invaders came and uh, destroyed our body politic our society and everything but uh, another uh, major reason for destruction of our original culture and our vedic paddhati as well as even the original manusmriti which is being degraded so much especially by a certain section of people one of the reasons has been the immense unaccountable part that has been given historically or culturally to the brahmins which actually caused the downfall of our society well if you see uh, one thing that ambedkar and gandhi both agreed on was that if uh, the one system were to be established published again it should be established according to the book exactly then it will be successful and they were right they were right if somebody has read the banu smriti they would agree with it so my question is one thread that we've always faced and we still are facing is this scourge of uh, greedy unaccountable uh, caste power politics that has been going on especially since uh, 1947 how do we 
improve upon this and make sure the mistakes that we committed in the past do not become the reasons again for our downfall in the future and for the future generation my second question is which is related to this this also takes the form of regional politics as we've seen recently how this hindi versus tamil and all of these things are going on though the prime minister objectively uh, refused rebuked that debate but this th these things again come a a be it from the northeast or from the south that uh, you are uh, people from the north and imposing their culture when <laughs> culturally we all are same uh, sanskrit is the only language which sounds similar from a tamilian's mouth and a north indian's mouth accents in english may be different my third question is uh, that since you talked about unification of the country Kautilya in 300 BC made sure a body politic was made in such a manner that till the time of Ashok the country was totally safe and we had most immense military and economic prowess how do we make sure going in the future that a sort of the uh, what you talked about Krishna Raj and not Ram Raj I'm talking about righteousness is one thing but a more valiant force a more uh, secured force especially when people and people of my generation specifically they have this sense of nationality as well as uh, the fact that if we are unified we are united we'll be secure so how do we go ahead from here i am a backward so uh, you can be absolutely sure that uh, my answer will be objective Please understand that the Brahmins have been, and I, I don't carry any particular brief for them, but they have been the preservers of our culture. And I know this from the experience in Gujarat, that had there been no Brahmins in Gujarat, and particularly the Nagars, who are also Brahmins, superior Brahmins, whatever. We would have been a peculiar wild tribes in Gujarat. You see, and you can take today's example of Tamil Nadu. I think you no idea. I, I can imagine. I mean, I have a few Tamil friends and not Mr. Ayer, I am not referring to him. Um, is the amount of loss that the Tamil culture has suffered because they have virtually driven out the Brahmins. So that is one side of the picture. The other side is that, you know, anybody, when you are frustrated, you want to target someone, the fewest or the physically the weakest are the ones to be targeted. And to that extent, the Brahmins have been very easy, soft targets. Now, that does not mean that Brahmins have been perfect or they have been uh, impartial always and consistently, you know, angels. No, they haven't been. But give them the credit for what they have done. And what are they today? They are not dominating the Indian scene. And to go on belaboring them, I think is really self-damaging, quite frankly. My actually question was, yes. the uh, critics or the leftists do this and how do we counter it? We are coming to that. So I have tried to give you an answer that uh, they, 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 you wouldn't be what you are, but for the Brahminical uh, tradition. So I, I hope you are happy with the explanation. But to, but to come to the specific part of the query, how to promote, I mean, 
how to promote a non accountable pursuit of knowledge now first of all i think when you say that they have a strangle hold on the shastras i think that is exaggerating the power of the brahmin community today not i don't say this because i am one but i mean they are 5% of india's population no vote bank pa take a, let's be very honest they have no zero vote bank power no great political clout as such so whatever regard you may or may not have would be for the knowledge part of it but that apart why doesn't why don't we promote the study of our shastras in an honest and open way i mean today no brahmin has the power to say ki only certain communities will read the shastra today you can't do that yet what are we doing to promote an honest and open study of the shastras to really counter the mischief that is being played against us the honest answer is we still are let me be blunt here we are still dependent for knowledge of our own history on these tele serials and you know ever since the ekta kapoorization of <laughs> indian history has begun where that is leading us what are we doing to counter it accepting blaming the brahmin now what can he do accepting now he himself is struggling for his own survival that is number one second part of your question was what we don't want to miss any any of you uh, uh, divergences they take a form of political divergences here par as hindus we have to be a bit forceful and unapologetic if there is going to be a single national identity we have got to enforce it as simple as that the moment someone says imposition and you lose your nerve well that is not the krishna way <laughs> or even the rama way as simple as that i mean fine i mean if you want a personal view i have i mean i do respect i even respect is a pretty strong well i do tolerate you miss i tolerate the regional diversity tolerate i certainly don't worship them i hope you got the miss now but uh, on a more serious note i hope most of us if not all would have heard of a certain gentleman neeraj chaudhary is no more now a bengali now uh, in his autobiography or so not not autobiography on unknown indian and the next big one he wrote thy hand great anarch he did bring up this question of hindi and uh, even in bengal there was the sentiment this is calcutta and bengalis well you know but neeraj chaudhary himself a bengali no doubt he 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 clearly wrote that there has to be a national language and i do wish people of the hindi belt did behave will behave the way they are being accused of imperialism the point is hindi has never been imperialistic and that is my big grouse when you start shouting hindi imperialism what imperialism has hindi done now can anyone in this room name two of india's really imperial languages you will be shocked english is an imperial language but it is not an indian language i said it is not even a language parsi is not in indian urdu is not even a language i dare it has no attribute of a language two indian languages which have been born of this soil 
ट्रूली इंपीरियलिस्ट संस्कृत इज देयर नो डाउट संस्कृत बिलोंग्स संस्कृत तमिल इज राइट लुक एट वेन देवर एट देयर प्राइम द चोलास कैरिड हिंदुइज्म टू साउथ ईस्ट एशिया साउथ ईस्ट एशिया यू सी टूडे एंड सम ऑफ यू वुड हैव ट्रैवल देयर इज लार्जली द डूइंग ऑफ द चोलास मराठास कैरिड अ सैफरन फ्लैग टू बलोचिस्तान बियॉन्ड बलोचिस्तान अप टू अफगानिस्तान दैट इज इंपीरियलिज्म so well if you are going to accuse the the widest spoken language of imperialism i would say well go ahead and behave imperialist are we even doing that we are busy corrupting the widest spoken language in india corrupting it with well all sorts of but i think english is at least a unifying language which has you know sir english english while not denying a lot of gifts english has given india i would be very churlish to do so all said and done any 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 language that has come from outside cannot truly unify you hello everyone my name is srishti nagarajan nagarajan sir my question is to garudia sir uh what prompted you or you know how did this thought occur to you to portray krishna as a political leader or let's say as a unif- unifier of india and not as how he is commonly perceived you know as you just said uh, an avatar of vishnu or a butter thief or something like that so what prompted you to portray him in this role as as a political leader and not as a religious avatar he was one i mean there is no doubt that he he was Uh, a, a political strategist, uh, probably the rarest of one, and he was a military strategist as well. So that is the light in which one must portray him. Enough has been done, written, spoken about the Bhagavad Gita and his being a philosopher. So therefore, we have not touched that because there is no use repeating, and nobody is going to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> something that the great people have already uh, talked about but this is an aspect which was missing that's why although perhaps in the end you would say that the gita has done greater service to the indian civilization than perhaps his political strategy or his military uh, work you may say that that's up to you thank you very much thank you all very much for your time